and thanks for tuning in to the Breast Cancer Action Podcast. Breast Cancer Action is not your average breast cancer organization, and this is not your average podcast. We're people-powered and we're fiercely independent, radical and compassionate. We never shy away from the hard truths. We bring you the facts and we tell it like it is about breast cancer and what you can do about it. Welcome to the Breast Cancer Action Podcast. I'm Karuna Jagger, the Executive Director of Breast Cancer Action, and I'm your host. Today, we're talking about our 2019 Think Before You Pink campaign. On October 1st, we launched Say Never to Forever Chemicals, calling out corporate giant 3M for marketing pink ribbon post-its to raise awareness for breast cancer, while also producing and using PFAS a toxic class of chemicals known as forever chemicals that may contribute to breast cancer risk. At Breast Cancer Action, we call this pinkwashing. In 2002, Breast Cancer Action coined the phrase pinkwashing to call out all those companies and organizations that tell us how much they care about breast cancer. They're promoting pink ribbon products, but at the same time, producing, manufacturing, or selling products that are linked to increased risk of the disease. This year, we're demanding that 3M show us they really care about breast cancer by ending production, use, and sale of PFAS compounds. Here to talk with me today is Sharon Lerner, an investigative reporter covering health and the environment for The Intercept, which does in-depth, unflinching investigations. I love that their mission is to hold the powerful accountable through fearless and adversarial journalism. Sharon is widely published and received a number of awards. Sharon, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. We're calling this year's campaign, Say Never to Forever Chemicals, and that's because PFAS don't break down. I know that you've done a lot of work on PFAS, Sharon. Can you talk to folks about this category of chemicals and why there's such concern about the health harms from PFAS? Absolutely. PFAS are industrial chemicals that the public is beginning to know about over the the past few years, but actually they've been in use since the 1950s. And 3M was the company that developed the first PFAS, um, PFOA and PFOS, notably those two chemicals, which are the most famous ones that, that everybody is talking about now. Not everybody, but certainly more than a few years ago, when I first began reporting on this, nobody had any idea what PFOA was. Well, I just have to laugh because it feels like just a scramble of letters, right? Yeah. So when I first started and I would tell people, you know, they'd say, what are you working on? I'd say, I'm writing about a chemical PFOA. And they'd say, what? You know, and now, though, you know, you say PFOA and a lot of people know what you're talking about. And so back in 2015, when I began looking into it, I didn't know much myself. It was sometimes called C8 uh, and sometimes called PFOA. And it was a processing aid I knew that was used in the production of Teflon by the DuPont company. But it turned out that uh, back again in the 50s, DuPont had begun uh, using PFOA because 3M came to it, uh, to the company. And actually they didn't even know what the compound was necessarily going to be used for. They had just discovered this compound, which 
which was water resistant and stain resistant, they thought might be useful. And basically, so in the in the fifties, they begin uh, Dupont begins using PFOA as a processing aid in, when they're making Teflon, which of course we all know now as this nonstick coating for pans, a real blockbuster product for Dupont. But shortly after they began using it in the 1950s, um, they started encountering evidence that it was toxic. And this, when I say they there, I'm talking about DuPont, but 3M also, as they begin, uh, continue to produce this stuff, and they're also producing PFOS, which is a very similar mo molecule that they end up using in Scotchgard and also in firefighting foam, which was um, developed by 3M and the Navy together, the US Navy. So this is really you know, ramping up production over the decades. And also as the use of these chemicals uh, increases over the decades, so too does awareness with both companies, within both companies, that these chemicals are toxic in a number of ways, that they, are bioaccumulative, which is to say they, they accumulate in people's bodies. And that they were getting out into the water near the production plants. And this happened in West Virginia and also happened in Minnesota. And we know now that it happened in many places around the country where it was produced and used. Yeah, there's so much here. I feel like we need to kind of break this down into bite-sized pieces because this is just such a complex story. So in some ways, I'm wondering if we need to kind of start back at the beginning and really understand what these PFAS are, these per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. And, you know, when I was getting into the topic, it was a shock to realize that there's, you know, nearly 5,000 of these substances and hundreds that are in use in the U.S. in consumer products right now. Um, you mentioned that they're known as C8 chemicals. Can you explain that? Well, actually, what I meant was that the early ones were known as C8 chemicals. And that means the C stands for carbon and the 8 stands for the number of carbons that are linked together in a chain. So both of these compounds, C8s, PFOA and PFOS, are based on these carbon chains. And each carbon is attached to a fluorine atom. And the fluorine-carbon bond is one of the strongest in all of chemistry. And because of that, these chemicals ended up being extremely strong and extremely useful in industry. They don't break down, as I mentioned, which is, can be a plus when you're working with them. It can be a real minus when we're talking about the environment. One of the things that shocked me about PFAS is this idea that that scientists can't estimate a half-life. I mean, we're talking such stable, enduring bonds that there's no projected timeline that these chemicals can break down. And you mentioned that the result of that is that, you know, they can accumulate in humans and animals and plants because there's no half-life in there, these persistent chemicals that are bioaccumulating. So when, when people talk about the half-life with PFAS, we actually do have, have a pretty good sense of what each individual compound, the half-life of those compounds in terms of the human body. So some of them stay for uh, days, weeks, months in the human body, and they call that, that the half-life, the amount of time it takes to get rid of half of what you have in you. Some of them take years to get rid of uh, 
for the, for the human body. It takes a really long time. In terms of how long they last in the environment, that's really the mind-boggling part. These chemicals don't go away, which is why they're known sometimes as forever chemicals. But we can assume that they, because they're not broken down under natural circumstances, right, with the normal temperatures and, and pressures, it takes extremely high temperatures to actually get rid of them. We can assume that these chemicals are going to be on the earth much longer than humans will. They're just going to persist indefinitely. It's shocking. I mean, we talk about how humans are changing planet Earth. And I feel like the idea that we're introducing these synthetic chemicals that will outlive us is is shocking. And, you know, there's some real concern about how these chemicals are affecting our health. Uh, do you want to talk to folks about what you've learned in terms of the health harms of PFAS? Sure. So when I first began reporting on this, I was looking at litigation in West Virginia, where uh, near DuPont plant in Parkersburg, where PFOA had uh, escaped the plant and gotten into drinking water in the area. And because of that, uh, the people who had been exposed filed a class action suit over the harms that they felt they suffered. And there was this huge litigation that came out of it. And as part of that litigation, they ended up having three epidemiologists who looked at all the data that was available and also uh, looked at some of the blood of the people who had been drinking uh, the compounds in their water for years and were able to do a pretty good assessment of what sort of impact these chemicals had on health. After years of looking at this, these three epidemiologists, who I should say were approved by both sides in the litigation, the plaintiffs and also the DuPont attorneys said they were fine, so they're not biased, they ended up concluding that there were six different conditions that could be linked to PFOA. And among them were kidney cancer, testicular cancer, elevated uh, lipids, preeclampsia. So these are some serious things. That was in 2011 and 2012. And since then, we've really come to see that there are many other health issues that have been linked to these chemicals. There's been a lot of research in recent years. Um, we've seen immune impacts, obesity, developmental issues. It's really a quickly expanding number of concerns. And they kind of seem to... to work at these very, very low levels to disrupt systems, so the endocrine system in particular. So, of course, we're a breast cancer organization, and um, like many chemicals, the concerns about some of these other health harms, and in particular some of the endocrine, the hormone disruption, there's also specific concern about breast cancer. And I think when we talk, when I've been talking with researchers, there's an enormous amount of concern about the ways in which PFAS may increase the risk of breast cancer. In addition to knowing that PFAS causes some cancers, you just talked about the ways in which it can interfere with normal hormone functioning. And of course, breast cancer is a hormone-driven disease. I also know that PFAS has been shown to suppress the immune system. Can you talk about that a little bit? You know, our concern, of course, is that when 
a chemical is is hindering or, or interfering with the body's ability to prevent rogue cancer cells from growing, um, that these, you know, normal mutations that, that happen in all of us, you know, if our immune system isn't functioning, then it can can grow into breast cancer. Yeah. Well, I think you're right to be concerned. So some of uh, the most recent and compelling uh, research on immunity came from a researcher named Philippe Grangin, who looked at children in the Faroe Islands and looked at uh, levels of PFAS in their blood and the response to uh, injections uh, and vaccinations and found that that they had basically a weaker response if they had more PFAS in their blood. So that was pretty uh, compelling research, and I've interviewed him several times about it. And one of the things that's really striking about that is that he, for many years, he knew about these compounds, but had the sense from the industry, because uh, this is what the industry had said, that the, these weren't bioactive compounds, that they weren't having any effects on the body. And so he didn't look at it, and other researchers didn't look at it. Well, of course, when he did, he found that there was really alarming stuff there. And recently, um, the state of Minnesota, the Minnesota Attorney General, sued 3M over contamination there, and lots and lots of documents came out through that litigation. And some of them show that they actually had research uh, showing immune concerns way back. And so it's really disturbing to think that other researchers, you know, that we all might have known this, that would have been not to allow these chemicals to be used, but also, you know, you could have had researchers looking into this and 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 doing good science on this. So they had uh, at least one study on Im- that showed immune impacts that was not made public for many years. There, there are many documents that have been uncovered showing that 3M knowingly withheld data, that they sort of delayed the release of the data, denied the impact, you know, kind of what the data showed, and then tried to distract us with these other studies that, you know, kind of emergence of doubt uh, sort of um, throw, throw lots of data at the wall and, and just dilute it all. Um, but let's stick with breast cancer for a little bit longer. Um, another concern uh, is that we know that even low-dose exposure to PFAS has been shown to change the structure of the mammary gland and interfere with breastfeeding. We know that PFAS shows up in breast milk across the world. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, the, the breast milk uh, studies are very, very disturbing. And so first, to, for those, I was recently looking at the data internationally in terms of the levels of PFAS in breast milk. And first off, it's shocking just that these chemicals are ever in breast milk. But it's not only that they are in breast milk around the world. Uh, When people have looked for them, they've found them. But in some countries, in several, the levels, the average levels of PFAS in breast milk are higher than the EPA's safety levels. Uh, right now, which is 70 parts per trillion. And that's a level, it's another story, but that's a level people think isn't low enough. You have people around the world nursing their babies and the very first thing they get, you know, in life into their body is PFAS. I mean, we should say 
that actually when you're born as an infant, you already, most everybody has these chemicals in their blood, which they've gotten through the placenta anyway. It doesn't make it okay, but they're inescapable at this point. So let me go back to 3M and their bad corporate behavior, because I think, you know, when we look at these pink ribbon post-its that they're marketing right now, and they have a pink stethoscope that they're selling and donating some portion of proceeds to support breast cancer research. They just have been trying to use these pink ribbon products to tell us that they really care about women's health and care about breast cancer, and yet they're failing to take the most basic steps to ensure that they're not increasing the risk of the disease. Tell us more about what you uncovered about 3M and their bad corporate behavior uh, in terms of the history of PFAS. Well, with big companies like 3M, you know, they have the ability to do a lot of research. They have a great team of scientists, and you can see that's how they come up with with these products and and. For, for PFAS, they had the ability and they had the staff to, to look into all sorts of the health and environmental and occupational consequences of these chemicals. So over the years, they really accumulated a huge amount of information, only some of which they shared. And so this is a problem we saw with DuPont as well, and it's a, an issue because you have these incredibly wealthy, powerful companies that have, you know, great staff, right? A great, a, a huge number of scientists who can who can work really hard to know things. Of course, they're the ones who who developed the technology in the first place, so they're ahead of regulators, basically every step of the way, right? They know what's in there, what chemicals they're making, and often when it came to the EPA, the EPA didn't know uh, a lot in terms of the science of what they studied, uh, what they found in terms of health effects on chemicals, but even what those chemicals really were, and 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 I should say are, because 3M, you know, continues to make PFAS chemicals, that is, uh, chemicals in this family. They stopped making PFOA and PFOS in, in 2000, around then. And uh, they also stopped eventually making firefighting foam. But when you look at the compounds that are still in use, and I recently did a piece about that, um, there are many, there are hundreds of PFAS that are still in use. And these are what are called short chain replacements, uh, which means that instead of having eight carbons or more, which the older ones did, these can have sometimes four or five or six or even three, or they might have eight, but if they have uh, three carbons or four carbons in trip and then an oxygen and then more carbons, then they're no longer uh, because they're broken up, they're no longer considered a long chain. In any case, these compounds, we have been told, are relatively safer, and, and they've been marketed this way as a sustainable alternative to the long chain compounds. And are they? I mean, how can we trust 3M after 3M has basically lied to us for so long? Is there any reason to believe that these short chains are actually safer? 
So I recently uh, did a piece looking at some of these short chain compounds. And, and in 2016, I was looking at DuPont's, one of DuPont's substitutes for PFOA, which is a compound we now know as Gen X. It wasn't known back then in 2016. And when I uh, was writing about Gen X and some of the scientists who had been able to track it down as its replacement, I also found studies showing that uh, Gen X caused cancer and other health problems in animals. So recently what I did, and that was in 2016, that story, recently what I did is I went back and looked not just for the studies of Gen X, but for the studies on all PFAS compounds that are still uh, in use. When I looked for the studies, and these are studies that manufacturers are required to submit to the EPA if they find that their product presents a risk either to human health or the environment. And when I looked for those studies, which were like the studies I had found of Gen X, but I wanted to look for all the PFAS still in use, I found that there were 40 uh, chemicals that are uh, short-chain PFAS compounds that have these reports. Um, and they found a, a series of really disturbing things, things like neurotoxicity, developmental toxicity, um, you know, effects on teeth, which I hadn't really thought of, all, all sorts of developmental pro problems. Um, and so they also, you know, in several cases were uh, interfering with reproduction. They were uh, causing decreased conception, decreased sperm function, postnatal loss. So I found 40 compounds that had these reports on them, really alarming stuff. And of those, 3M had submitted reports for 21 of those chemicals. So just over half. So let me say this back to you. So 3M stopped making PFOA and PFOS under duress from the EPA because by this point, after pushing these chemicals out into consumer use for decades, finally, they couldn't deny the evidence anymore and they stopped making and using those. Meanwhile, they're developing alternatives. They're keeping a lot of these chemicals secret. When they finally do share data with the EPA, there's a whole lot of health concerns, including some new concerns around things like dental effects that you found. That's shocking and awful. And I feel like 3M is just this prime perpetrator. You know, they they launched PFOA back in the 50s. And then now they're responsible for more than half of these short chain chemicals with associated health harms. Well, let me go back to the first part of this. So I don't know what was in their head. You know, I can't say for sure why they phased out their, uh, decided to phase out their products in 2000. I mean, they, they had recently submitted some very disturbing studies to the EPA and were in discussions with them. So I, I think you're right to say under duress. What they were thinking, I don't know. But yes, it is clear that they, among others, so obviously there are other companies that were still uh, also working on developing these short-chain uh, compounds, among them DuPont. But yes, they were really at the forefront, have been at the forefront of the shorter-chain chemistry, which is supposed to, again, be sort of safer for us somehow. And the reason that this has been put forward as a safer technology is that some of these compounds exit the body more quickly. But as we can see, 
they are associated for my last piece, they're associated with some of the same problems. Yeah, yeah. Another reason to really highlight 3M has to do with just this awful, awful study with dying cancer patients. Can you tell us what you found? Yeah, so there is a study that has been uh, getting some attention recently, mostly uh, because someone named Michael Dorison has been referring to it uh, a lot. This study was sort of a, a, a two-part study. There was some research that happened, and we don't know, even know exactly the year, but um, around 2010, that involved giving PFOA to patients who were end, at the end of their lives dying of cancer. And these were people with all sorts of different cancers, and they had not been able to, basically no treatment was any working for them any longer. And according to some of the documents I reviewed, this was supposed to be because it was of some benefit to the cancer patients. It's unclear to me what that would be. Basically, the, this original research was later taken up uh, by some Minnesota University of Minnesota uh, scientists who published an article in February of 2018 in this journal of Toxicological Sciences that used their data and tried to um, look at, well, they said it was looking at whether uh, you know, how the, how the patients tolerated it. So the paper was published in February of 2018, and almost as soon as it was out, it was put to use by folks who were trying to um, argue that PFOA isn't as dangerous as uh, folks make it, have been trying to make it. So they're using it to argue in the regulatory context that it's really not as bad as it seems. Uh, in the meantime, and I should say both of the University of Minnesota folks who were working on it were funded by 3M, which they made clear that they had been paid in the journal. They, they wrote that. But it doesn't discount the fact that basically they were using this very questionable data that was, you know, involved exposing these very sick people to a chemical that not only had virtually no chance of helping them, but was very likely going to hurt them. And then using that for uh, to argue that they shouldn't be facing the regulation that seems to be coming their way. Oh, it's so despicable. It's so upsetting. I got to tell you that your piece came out after we had already chosen to go after 3M. And it just, you know, still when I think about it, it just is so despicable. Um, I think, you know, the fact that 3M would would kind of harvest results from what is just basically an unethical study that exploited dying cancer patients, that they would harvest that to try to, you know, to pay for reanalysis and try to claim, make these unsupportable claims that PFOA isn't actually bad for us. It's just so disgusting and despicable. It's incredibly upsetting. I think there's just a lot more questions that I think are going to come to light. And I really value and appreciate the the work that you've done to bring this forward. And I know that there are more questions that remain to be answered. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting to note that there was a memo way back uh, 
in around 2003, the memo was dated. And this was actually involving DuPont, but it was uh, from a, a group that did regulatory consulting called the Weinberg Group. And one of the things that they recommended in basically how to fend off the regulatory interest in PFOA was to come up with a study that would establish not just that PFOA was safe, but also that it offered real health benefits. Oh, it's just, it's like the classic merchants of doubt move, right? You know, every time there's a body of evidence that shows, you know, we should take action, then the industry starts throwing this contradictory evidence, like spaghetti at the wall to try to cast the knowledge into doubt. It's just, um, you know, we see it with climate change, we saw it with tobacco, you know, now we're seeing it with PFAS. It's just this, you know, classic move that industry makes to try to cover up the harm that they're that they're causing to our health and the, and the ways they're contributing to breast cancer risk. It's just um, incredibly upsetting. They're not alone in pinkwashing or in greenwashing. They're not the only one. But it is notable that here we have a product that's that's related to cancers and so many other health issues that are are so worrisome for everyone throughout the the lifespan from infancy to old age. And it's sort of a profound health threat that we're just beginning to understand and to have one of the players, one of the main players in that world, one of the main forces causing this problem come out and say like, well, you know, some sticky pink papers will take care of it. I mean, it's clearly not the case. Yeah, we, we've been saying, you know, post-its peel off, but PFAS are forever. Um, and, you know, they're trying to use some slick marketing to distract us from the harm that they're doing and the legacy that they're leaving. Uh, I think the only answer is that they need to stop production of this class of chemicals, no more regrettable substitution, stop making, selling, and using PFAS. And, you know, where they claim that there are so-called essential uses, they need to develop non-fluorinated safe alternatives. Um, We're already going to be stuck with this toxic legacy forever. These chemicals aren't going to go away. And and we're we're stuck with these. Um, You know, forever is too long. PFAS are too toxic. Uh, We need to really hold 3M to account and not let them get away with pinkwashing. If they want to tell us how much they care about our health, um, they should show us. I just want to close by thanking you for your work. Breast Cancer Action is a watchdog, but we can only do our work because of researchers who are digging into the science and investigative journalists like you who are really um, uncovering the truth. So I just want to thank you for your work. Uh, I know that we will be keeping an eye on, on you know, your upcoming stories. I know that you're not done with this subject and uh, just really appreciate you being with us here today. Thank you so much, Sharon. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks to all of you for listening. At Breast Cancer Action, our mantra has long been, let's do something besides worry. And this is a great opportunity to hold 3M accountable for their pinkwashing. Join us and tell 3M's executives to stop producing, using, and selling PFAS. Because marketing pink products isn't enough. And if 3M really cares about breast cancer, they'll put our health before their PFAS-driven profits. 
go to our website, bcaction.org, and take action. You can send your email directly to 3M's executives. And while you're there, you can use our action tool to send tweets and posts on Facebook, sharing information about this campaign and inviting your community to join you in taking action. Because together, we are powerful. And we've shown in the past that when we raise our voices together, we can make multi-billion dollar corporations change their pinkwashing ways. Hey, thanks for listening to the Breast Cancer Action Podcast. All of our podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. Give us a five-star review and be sure to subscribe. We want to hear from you. Tell us your stories, share your questions. Let us know who you want to hear from and who we should invite as a guest on the show. You can share your ideas by emailing info at bcaction.org or reaching out on Facebook or Twitter. While you're there, sign up for the emails to get the latest on all the rest of Breast Cancer Action's work. And if you value what you heard today, please support our work by donating on our website, bcaction.org, because together we can do something besides worry.